Well, welcome, everyone. My name is Kelly Slover. I am the groups minister here at Fraser Church. And today I am humbled and privileged to get to share a message with you that we had planned for me to share at Wednesday night worship. But due to the weather, um, the severe weather we had, our plans changed. And so thank God for technology and for our awesome media team. I can join you today and share a message with you from Luke 11. Um, so let's get started. Our scripture for today, I will read to you. It is Luke 11, verses 37 through 54. <clears throat> While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you were witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, would your Holy Spirit be present and powerful with us today? Would you move me out of the way and speak to the hearts of your people? Your children are listening. Speak, Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, today we are continuing on our journey with Jesus, part of our life along the way. It's a year-long study in the life of Jesus. And at this point, Jesus is full on into his ministry he has been teaching and speaking, going from town to town. He has amassed a growing crowd. On Sunday, Pastor Chris spoke about the reactions of the crowd. He shared about those who were in the crowd and they were amazed. They just believed the miracles. There were some that rejected him wholeheartedly, even calling him, um, saying he got his power from Beelzebul, from Satan himself, um, and those who just wanted more and more signs, who were forever seeking the signs and not seeking the source. 
But today we're going to shift our attention away from the crowds, the Gentiles, the everyday people, to the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, basically the religious people of the day. In the passage, we see their reaction and motivation as well as Jesus's response. And his response to them is pretty harsh, and I believe it has a message for us as well. But now I want to pause because Jesus's words to the Pharisees in this passage are strong, and while I do believe they have a message for us in them, there is a key difference between us and the Pharisees. You, my friend, if you're a Christian, you are bought with and covered by the blood of the Lamb. You, my friend, are a beloved son or daughter. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Today, we will be talking about our sin and repentance, but I want to remind you that conviction is not the same as condemnation. And while discussing things like sin, conviction, and repentance can feel really uncomfortable, the Lord calls us to it in love. Scripture says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. That's Romans 2.4. So yes, the Lord loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. For he is the vine, we are the branches, and every branch that bears fruit, which is us, his people, his children, he prunes. That's John 15. So let us turn our attention back to the text now that we have that caveat out of the way. Again, Jesus has been speaking to the crowds, and at this point he has been speaking and performing miracles all day. And while he was speaking, a Pharisee interrupts Jesus, probably hoping to get him to stop, and invites him to come and dine with him. Jesus agrees. He enters in and sits at the table, ready to eat. And I'm sure he was hungry after such a long day of ministry. But it says that the Pharisees are astonished that Jesus did not first wash his hands before sitting. I think it's important for us to understand why they were astonished and why Jesus didn't wash his hands. You see, it was customary at the time for Jews to wash before eating, but it wasn't because of any law found in Scripture or even because they knew anything about viruses or bacteria or germs. It was because the religious leaders had added rules upon rules upon rules to their people. They were very good at following rules. So the more rules they put in place, the better they could feel about themselves for keeping them. But Jesus not washing would have been very noticeable as well. There would have been provisions in place upon entering the home. There would have been water, a towel, and everyone entering with him would have immediately done that. So him walking straight to the table would have been very obvious to all in the room. And I believe that Jesus did it on purpose because he wasn't playing by their man-made rules. And he knew it was a teaching moment for the Pharisees. You know, in just a few short chapters, Jesus is going to tell us about a very different table than the one that we're looking at today in this passage. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable about a great banquet where Jesus describes this table and a host that reaches out into the community and invites all the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. What a contrast that parable is to the the table that Jesus sits at in this, in this passage in Luke 11, where not all are welcomed and the Messiah himself is admonished for not following a man-made rule. So Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for being hypocrites. 
On the outside, they were clean, they followed the rules, but on the inside, they were full of greed and wickedness. He tells them that they neglect justice and the love of God, and that their focus is on the perks they get from their status, the admiration, the opinion of men, and not the opinion of God. Not only that, but they are infecting those around them with inauthentic hypocrisy, without others even knowing it that they are putting burdens on others that they themselves are not willing to carry. So there are three points I want to bring to you. I submit to you today lessons that we can learn from Jesus's words to the Pharisees. The first is, are we practicing external compliance or are we working from a changed heart? As a mother of four, I know there's (laughs) the importance of a good lid and a sippy cup It does not leak. If I were to pour my two-year-old son a cup of, let's say, red Kool-Aid, and I didn't put a lid on it, guess what's going to happen? I mean, my floor, my sofa, my table, his clothes, like all over my home will be red stains with Kool-Aid. Why? Same for you. Let's say you're carrying your coffee in on a Sunday morning and somebody bumps into you really hard and your coffee didn't have a lid. It's going to spill. Or what if I was driving and I was holding my glass of sweet tea from Chick-fil-A and then somebody hit me? It's going to spill. Mine's going to spill tea. Yours is going to spill coffee. My son's is going to spill Kool-Aid. My question is why? You may say that my son spilled the Kool-Aid because he's young. He lacks dexterity and balance. The bump from the person made you spill your coffee. The bump in the road made me spill my tea, but... But I say that we spilled those things because that's what was inside our cups. You see, whatever we fill our cups with is what spills out. The Pharisees may have washed their hands with water, but they failed to wash their hearts from wickedness. The Lord cares greatly about our hearts, friends. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that the Lord looks at the heart. Psalm 51, 10 David prays, create in me a clean heart, O God. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Matthew 12.34-35 says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And Matthew 6, 21 reminds us that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So basically out of our good heart, we bring forth good. And out of the evil in our heart, we bring forth evil. Brothers and sisters, what's in your cup? What is your cup full of today? What spills out when you're bumped? We must turn our attention from rule following and external compliance inward to the state of the heart. What is the posture of our hearts today? When you get bumped and out comes anger and envy or pride, friends, bring it to the cross. For he is faithful and just to forgive. There's a verse I bring to mind when I'm confronted with my own messy cup. It's Psalm 139, 23 through 24. And I encourage you to remember it, to memorize it as well. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me 
and know my thoughts and see if there is any or be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Yes, we must turn our focus to our hearts. We must be honest with ourselves about what we find there and we must bring it to the Lord to repent and ask forgiveness, which brings us to our second lesson from the the words of Jesus to the Pharisees. Are we practicing confession and repentance or conceal and bury? You know what's worse than giving my two-year-old son a cup with no lid? (laughs) It's giving him a cup with a lid that gets hidden. Have you ever found a cup of milk or juice that fell behind the TV stand or maybe rolled under the sofa? It's horrible. Oh, the contents begin to spoil. In verse 44, Jesus tells us that the Pharisees are like unmarked graves, full of death and decay, hidden just a few feet under the ground. The Pharisees, so distracted with rule following, so distracted with pride and the praise and opinion of men, neglected the contents of their heart. They may have looked the part, but on the inside, unacknowledged and unrepentant sin was festering, hidden from sight. Left too long, an unchecked heart begins to spoil too. Do you feel distant from the Lord? Is it hard to feel him near or hear his voice? Can you not find the will or the words to pray? Now, maybe there's other reasons for this. For sure, we all go through valleys. But asking the Lord to draw near and to search your heart could be a great place to start when you find yourself in that season. A forgotten cup of milk may stay hidden for a while, but eventually it begins to affect those in the house. It begins to, there's a smell like in the air. You walk into the room and you just know something's off. Brothers and sisters, we bear his name. Little Christ, that's what Christian means. The stakes are so high and a messy cup hidden from view doesn't just affect the cup, it affects all around it. In fact, it infects the most those who are closest to it. Your spouse, your children, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says that we are the fragrance of Christ. That those around us should find something different in the air When we're around, there should be beauty and peace and goodness. That's been my prayer for me, and it's my prayer for you too. To get there, we cannot focus on the outward compliance over a changed heart. We must focus on confession and repentance, not concealing and burying. This brings me to point number three. Are we gatekeepers or are we trail guides? In verse 52 of our scripture, Jesus tells the religious leaders that they have taken away the key of knowledge. He says, you did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. And as I was praying and preparing for this message, the Lord just kept laying the word revival on my heart. Revival can be defined a couple different ways. I found three that I'll share with you today. First, a reawakening of religious fervor, a turning of sinners to Christ for salvation. Next, to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to transform both believers and 
non-believers alike. And three, the awakening of God's people to their true nature and purpose and the conversion of sinners. Do you see a pattern here? It always begins with us. Let's read it again. Can you find the pattern? A reawakening of religious fervor and the turning of sinners to Christ for salvation. To allow the power of the Holy Spirit to transform believers and non-believers alike. The awakening of God's people to their true nature and purpose and the conversion of sinners. A.W. Tozer, a Christian theologian, wrote, Have you noticed how often or how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted? I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying, and it simply will not work. Brothers, sisters, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are meant to be the fragrance of Christ in this world. You are ambassadors of Christ, a royal priesthood. Let us not hinder those who would enter. Let our hearts break for those who do not know him. Let us live lives worthy of the calling we have received. Let us run this race with endurance. And when we fall, because we will, let us learn from Jesus' lesson to the Pharisees. Let us focus on a changed heart. Let us confess and repent our sin. And then let us shine brightly with the light of Christ for the world to see. Our passage tonight closes with verses 53 and 54 that read, As he, Jesus, went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. The Pharisees encountered Jesus. They heard the truth of the contents of their hearts, and they did not repent. There's a thing my children and I do all the time. It's called discipline, and it's so fun. Only kidding. But there's a few things I often say to my children when they've done something they know is wrong. The first thing that I say is, give me your eyes. Normally, when we know we've done something wrong, our natural inclination is to turn and hide. That's what my children tend to do. And I believe that's what we're all tempted to do with the Lord too. But after I crouch down low and I speak to them slow, I get down on their level and I say, sweetheart, give mama your eyes. Eventually, a sacred moment occurs. They turn and they look to my face. Friend, I believe it's a sacred moment when you stop hiding and you turn to the Lord and you meet his gaze because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. The second thing I say to my children is I love you. I love you so much that I want to help you be the very best version of you that you can be. And at the heart of it, that's why I discipline my children and I believe that's why the Lord disciplines us too. He loves us, but he loves us too much to let us stay in our sin. He's got plans for you. So will you turn? Turn back to him. Meet his face. Believe he loves you. And repent. 
If you're listening today and maybe you've turned your eyes away from the Lord, friend, look back. Turn to him. It's a sacred moment and he will meet you with kindness. Bring him your dirty cup and let him wash your sins away. Let us not be like the Pharisees, proud of our own rule following and powered by the praise of others. The world so desperately needs the hope of Christ. The world so desperately needs revival. And revival begins with deep conviction, a crying out in confession and repentance of his people. I'll close with a prayer that Pastor Ken shared with us before he left to serve on staff at a seminary not long ago. I invite you to pray it with me now and in the days to come. Lord, let there be a revival in this place at any cost and let it begin with me. I'll close today with a benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Amen. Thanks for tuning in.